You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group and American National Insurance. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Angostura. If you've ever made a cocktail at home, you've most likely shaken Angostura bitters into your cocktail at the very end of the cocktail making process. In addition to bitters, Angostura has been making world-class rum for more than 130 years. The next fall cocktail you make, try the beautiful, smooth flavor of Angostura rum. It will transport you to the Caribbean islands of Trinidad and Tobago. The House of Angostura will celebrate its 200-year anniversary of turning drinks into cocktails in 2024. Cheers, everyone. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. Welcome to To Dine for the Podcast, where we meet the world's most creative and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Steve Camilleri. We really believe that anybody that's living here, they deserve the best resources. And that's what our vision is, to bring the best resources of the community to those in most need. Steve Camilleri is the executive director for the South Bend Center for the Homeless. The South Bend Center for the Homeless is a nonprofit organization that strives to restore human dignity and break the cycle of homelessness through providing emergency and transitional housing for the homeless. One of the most important steps in achieving their mission is raising awareness and advocacy for the homeless. I have known Steve for many, many years, and I can tell you, this is one good man. I cannot wait for you to enjoy my conversation with Steve Camilleri. Steve Camilleri, how are you? You are one of my favorite people on this planet that I just <laughs> don't keep in touch with that I love so dearly. Can you believe we're doing this? Well, I remember you were at like WSBT. Yeah. So you stayed a little bit longer. I did. I, I started, I knew you at Notre Dame. You hired yeah. me at the call center. Do you remember? That's yeah. how we connected. Do you remember that? You were the top caller. I was the top caller. I of was. Of course I remember that. I just thought the world of you then. I think the world of you now. And then you stayed a couple extra years was a blessing. And now you're flourishing. I feel so 
blessed to be able to talk to you today. And it really was or is kismet that brought us together because an intern of mine, Derek, suggested yeah. I interview you for this podcast. And I said, oh my gosh, you don't understand. I know Steve. Steve <laughs> hired me. Steve was a mentor to me. Steve took oh. care of me. So this is really a full uh. circle moment. Let me just say that. I'm absolutely thrilled to talk to you today. You don't know this podcast, right? Because you, we've just reconnected. Yeah, of course I do. Oh, okay, okay, now you know it. But, but I always start by asking the guest, where is their favorite restaurant? And I really hope you'll take me somewhere in South Bend because since that was my old stomping grounds, if you if your favorite restaurant is somewhere else, that's fine too. But I'm just curious, if you could take me anywhere, where would you take me as far as a favorite restaurant? Okay, if that's the case, I can't, I, I've got to take you to three different places. Then. Okay, let's go. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that, but that's sure. what I'm going to do. Sure. The first place I have to take you is to my home, Six Pintail Lane in Levittown, New York my mother's kitchen oh. there's, there's nowhere you'll enjoy eating more and, and people say what is anita that is my mother's name anita. made a name anita tartamella a good sicilian who, tartamella it, it's not just the food she prepares it's her presence it's her being and everybody says what does she cook good the answer is everything mm. everything that woman makes it is truly made with love she's 81 years old now there's never been a better cook that I've run into, whether it's the fanciest restaurant I've ever been to or a dive. So I got to take it to my mother's kitchen. The second place I have to take you, I have to honor my dad who passed away eight years ago. So I don't just want to take you where he took it. I want to take you back 40 years ago where he took me. A place called The Sweet Shop. It's in a little town called Hicksville on Long Island. In 2025, it will be 100 years old. Oh my! And goodness. this place is, it's like a diner before there were really Long Island diners, yes, right? Yes. And so basically you can get anything you want, but it had a whiteboard and you, you got to order from the whiteboard. Those are the specials. And you knew everybody. My dad was a bartender for 35 years. He, he went by pops. And so he took me as a child. And he knew everybody when we walked in the place. So that made it feel special. Like, oh, my dad knows everybody. <laughs> and I would always get a chocolate egg cream, which people don't know what chocolate egg creams are. Oh, if I you do. don't, you got to get one. You got to yes. go to New York. You got to get a chocolate egg cream. They're special. I'm, aren't they great? Oh, they're delicious. Oh. They're absolutely and delicious. The, and it's the way they do it. You got to put it in right. You got to put the salsa in right with the milk, with the You Bet chocolate syrup. Mm. And it's phenomenal. And then you'd order off the whiteboard. And whether that was just a great open turkey face sandwich or meatloaf or pasta, whatever it was, just being at the sweet shop with my dad. And because it was the sweet shop, Kate, it was the candy and they had homemade chocolates and it was like the best chocolate I ever had. So when I was thinking about one of my favorite places. I want to go back 40 years and I want to take it to the sweet shop. Oh, I love this. I love everything about this. First of all, I always say that a person's favorite restaurant reveals something about them. Obviously, you start with your mom and your love of your mom and, and how great her cooking is. I mean, everything you have said is just oozing with warmth and just a real, you know, loyalty to your family and, and their love. It, sometimes it's those early memories with our family that are just the most indelible, especially when it comes to food and what we ate and where we were. It's just, it just brings us yeah. right back. 
It does. And so since you said South Bend, yes, I, I will I will have to give my third place. And I think anybody who would take you to a restaurant in South Bend, we gotta go to Rocco's. <laughs> I knew and, it. I knew it. We gotta go, Kate. And oh, for that same reason, Rocco's. the warmth. And now the warmth of Linda and Warren and their family. And previous to that, of course, Rocco and Julia. That is a place whether I'm there every week or I don't go there for months. I always feel like I'm back at home. They make me feel special. And for a New Yorker who might be a little bit of a pizza snob, boy, do I love the pizza. <laughs> and I love everything on the menu. So we're going to go back to Rocco's and revisit the good old days. I, you know what? You have a right to be a pizza snob being from New York, but Rocco's pizza is amazing. And Ro <laughs> Rocco's is an institution in South Bend, for, especially for the Notre Dame community. So I, I applaud you. There really is, okay. you know, I worked at McCree's Deli. So, yeah, you know, I have a soft spot right? for McCree's, um, yeah. but I, I think really Rocco's is an excellent, excellent choice. All right. Um, so you. <laughs> yes, you can you can't go wrong. You you hit it out of the park, Steve. So my question to you: Here you are, this this New Yorker. A, how did you get to South Bend? And then B, yeah. why did you stay? Oh, I love that. Why did I stay? Oh gosh, I'm so glad I stayed. And and how did I end up here? So I'm the first of my family, kind of first generation college. I'm at a, a, a great high school in Long Island, Chaminade, and uh, just so many folks go on to college. And I just, I thought I was going to stay on the East Coast. You know, so many of the schools I looked at, and I know you're from the East Coast. Yes. And I looked at schools in your area, Boston. I certainly looked at a few up there. I looked at a bunch in New York and the state university system in New York. And then there was this one outlier in South Bend, Indiana, where I had never been. I didn't know where it was. And I just, I told my dad, I was like, do you know what Notre Dame is? And he was like, oh yeah, they have a great football team. And uh, I was like, yeah, but do you know anything about the school? He's like, I'm sure it's a great school. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the last school I heard from. And when I got in, I said, well, we, got, we have to go and visit. And so I went with my dad and we visited. And it was, and Kate, you know this, it was that first nice weekend after the winter, which means it was Earth Day. Yes. So it was April 20th. Yes, yes, April. <laughs> and so we go. And now at this time, and by the way, this is 1989, everybody was out on the quad having a blast, you know, throwing Frisbees, hanging out. I had a great time. We get back on the plane to go back to New York. And my dad's like, what, you th what did you think about it? I'm like, I absolutely loved it. I want to go. What did you think about it? He's like, oh, that's a big party school. I said, what are you talking about? He's like, nobody was studying. They were all out on the quad playing sports. I'm like, I heard it was the first nice day in four months. You know, we, <laughs> we laughed about that for years and years. And so I I did I did go to Notre Dame and I, I started in 90 and finished in 94. Okay, so I didn't realize that. We were just, so I started in 94. So we you were just sure? you're four years older. You know, it's funny. Yeah. I was, that's not what I thought you were going to say. Because your father, New Yorker, from a certain generation where they worship Notre Dame, especially if you were Italian Catholic, right? Yeah. Or in my case, yeah. Irish Catholic. Like my dad, when he found out I got into Notre Dame, I mean, that was it. It, it, it. He could not have been more, he was proud. He was like bursting at the seams. Like for him as a Catholic, if I had gotten into Harvard, he wouldn't have been as proud as getting into Notre Dame. I mean, it was like, <laughs> wow, right? Um, yeah. it, there was yeah. a cachet, especially from a, especially when it was all boys from a certain generation that doesn't quite exist anymore, 
right? It doesn't that right. that 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 complete extremism. It really is interesting. And you could have ended up anywhere, but you went yeah. to Notre Dame. Well, no, he did. He did love it, and and he he loved the fact that quote unquote the son of a bartender went to Notre Dame. Oh wow! He was so proud of the fact that he was able to send his son there and he would come out with games and he'd bring his friends and fellow bartenders. And we had just such a wonderful time oh, I bet you and did. he fell deeply in love with it. I think he only knew it as a football school at first. Right. And then he realized what an incredible academic institution Notre Dame is and was. And so it's just for him. I think it was such a source of pride. And then to go and visit and to tell his friends, you know, again, at the bar, like he'd be watching the football game. He's like, Stevie's at the game. He's at the game. And like, he was so excited about that. And he really, he passed it on and, and friends of his still come and visit. We had a great group of friends from Long Island, from Hicksville, Long Island that were here earlier this football season. I think they understood how special Notre Dame was because they had heard about it through pops and then they got to experience it firsthand. So when you were graduating from Notre Dame, what did you want to do and who did you want to be? Oh, wow. It's such a great question. And I know a little bit of your journey, too. Like you thought maybe law school yes. and then you, you followed this tug for journalism, which I'm so glad you did. Yeah, me well, too. I, I had a tug, too, because I was applying for marketing jobs. I was a marketing and sociology major. And I just I just felt like a lot of the jobs for me at the time were in sales. And, you know, people said, oh, you'll be good at it. But it wasn't tugging at my heart. So I, I took a little bit of a break that wasn't a break. And I volunteered for two years as a teacher. And I taught in just the most darling community, Hammond, Louisiana, at a school that I just loved. Oh, God, Holy Ghost School. I taught fifth and sixth grade religion and English. It was just some of the most fun I had, and it's the hardest I've ever worked. I bet. And I, I just fell in love with it, and I really thought I was going to be a teacher. And I thought I'd actually go back to Long Island, I'd be a teacher, and I thought over the summers I'd be a lifeguard. I just, that was kind of what that I was had the dream. for my life. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, got a different plans, and I, I there was an opportunity to come back to the university, which is where we met when I worked in fundraising and, and ran the phone center, and got to work with amazing people like you and build these lifelong relationships. And then I was also director of ministries at the Basilica of the Sacred Heart. So I was doing like ministry and fundraising all together. And then when we had a chance to uh, get a grant to explore vocation and build some programs for high school students, I was so excited about that. We did that for a few years, a program called Endy Vision, which was, it was great to bring high school students together with college students. And now my own daughter will be one of these mentors in faith next year. So Are you, you talk about things. That's amazing. Wow. Congratulations. Isn't that wild? And so then in 2004, an opportunity arose to come to the Center for the Homeless. And it's coming up on 20 years now that I've been here. Okay, you are now running the South Bend Center for the Homeless, which really has an amazing history of service. They are a phenomenal organization. They were when I was a reporter in South Bend back in 1998, and they have continued to really be such a light in the community of South Bend. Can you explain really the profundity of their services and what they offer and kind of what they are. Many towns have centers for the homeless, but the South Bend Center for the Homeless is unique. How are they unique? 
Yeah. Thanks for saying it's unique. I, I just love what we do. I, I think we're unique. We have just such an amazing community that supports it, right? What an amazing community Michiana is. You mentioned profundity, right? Like the idea we speak about are people are disconnected, but they're profoundly disconnected. And I think everybody who walks through the door to the center as a resident, which we would call a guest, has that experience with disconnectedness in a maybe a more profound way than my own personal brokenness and disconnectedness, which I think we all experience brokenness and suffering in different ways. But folks might have run out of a net, a support system. And so we are there to provide that net, to provide that support to folks who come through our doors. And we do that. They live with us, Kate. They live with the center for as long as they need to. It's most often an average of about four, five months. And we have some folks who it might be as long as two years to really put all the pieces they need to back together, to get back on their feet, to get back to self-sufficiency. And we do that through varied program, which is almost completely on site here at the center. And then we've just really recently, and I'll say recently, the last four or five years, started a permanent supportive housing program. And we have 40 folks that we work with on that program. We could have as many as 175 or so people who would live here at the center 24-7. And then we have an additional 70 folks that come in on a weather amnesty, which is just getting off of the street, getting out of the cold. Winter, we don't have winters. the resources yes. to put them through all of our programming, but they come in from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. And so we're in the thick of that right now, which started November 1st. And again, it will go till April because we both know it could be cold here till April in South Bend. You know, it's one thing to provide shelter and food for someone who's homeless. It's another thing to get them on their feet. We say that, you know, so casually, get them on their feet. But really, right. th that requires, it could require a lot of services. It could require getting them ready for a job. It can, you know, how can they get into a place of their own? How can they be making money for themselves? Uh, all of those, even if, even if it's as simple as learning, many of them don't know how to read. Whatever it is, it's like many tentacles of need. Who do you lean on to raise the bar of excellence? for your Center for the Homeless. Is there another Center for the Homeless in another part of the country that you kind of emulate, that you lean on? Where are you learning to get better? Yeah, well, and and you have to lean on other folks to get better. We visited, a, well, again, pre-COVID, we had our team go out and we visited 21 facilities across the country. Wow. Of course, I know you've had Bon Jovi on the show. Yes. So we visited- um, Soul Kitchen. You know, yeah, yeah. So kids, we visited there. We have visited uh, Father Greg Boyle, Homeboy Industries. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So we visited some great places, some people we emulate. Where you grew up, we have the great Boston Healthcare Program, Jim O'Connell, who's a Notre Dame graduate. So we definitely have aspirational peers that we learn from and they help mentor us. We want to be like when we grow up. We're, we'll be 35 years. Uh, you know, so it's it, it goes by pretty quickly when you're at 20 of those 35 years. But yeah, we by all means, do we need to learn more? We want to stay cutting edge. And at the end of the day, though, we've got to do the best we can for the people in our community. And the community here helps us tremendously. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention all the great universities in our community and colleges, because we get so much support from all of them. And of course, for me being a Notre Dame graduate, so close to my heart, the amount of volunteers we get in the community, it's just, it keeps us going. And when you have something like COVID and we saw firsthand without all the volunteers, how difficult it was, we lean on professors 
uh, you know, and theorists who have a great sense of what we ought to be doing. And then they help make it practical to us and they bring in their students and they're working with our guests side by side and doing research. And so there's just, it's really important that, that we try to stay on top of our game and just not settle because we really believe that anybody that's living here, they deserve the best resources. And that's what our vision is, to bring the best resources of the community to those in most need. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National Agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National Agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Angostura. If you've ever made a cocktail at home, you've most likely shaken Angostura bitters into your cocktail at the very end of the cocktail making process. In addition to bitters, Angostura has been making world-class rum for more than 130 years. The next fall cocktail you make, try the beautiful, smooth flavor of Angostura rum. It will transport you to the Caribbean islands of Trinidad and Tobago. The House of Angostura will celebrate its 200-year anniversary of turning drinks into cocktails in 2024. Cheers, everyone. Now back to our conversation. What do you think, if you had to look, and since you've been there so long and you've studied this, you've, you've witnessed it firsthand, what do you think is the one quality or resource that makes the difference between someone being able to quote unquote, get on their feet and, and transition out of the homeless center? Like, what do you think, what do you pinpoint on it? Like what, what is really the difference maker in general of most folks? You know, I think so what, what I've seen Kate in these 20 years. And if I think if you talk to some of our different team members, if you would talk to former guests at the center, I would say we would all probably say having someone to fight for you, 
having someone to advocate for you and having someone to support you. Mm. It's probably the same thing I would say in my life, Mm. having mentors, teachers, parents that just support you are there for you when you're struggling and when you're succeeding to cheer you on and to lift you up. And I think the folks who make it, if you will, all right. I like how you said, like, what does it mean? Get back on your feet. Well, if you don't have hope, And if you're in a place of despair, I don't think you're ever going to get back. And if you really have to have hope, and I think it's the people who support them. And that, that might come in the form of a staff member. It might come in the form of a volunteer. It might become in the form of just a friend who they met on the street who said, Hey, you ought to go to the center for the homeless. Right. So having someone who's going to believe in you more than you believe in yourself. I know that's been the case in my life. There's been so many people who believe in me more than I believe in myself. If you have that, I think really, you could really set the vision for your life and achieve it. This is kind of a personal question, but I know uh, I feel comfortable asking it of you. It's those quiet moments when you're walking to your car after a day at the Center for the Homeless that you like where you stop and you like think about the day or something really emotional happens. I'm just wondering over so many years of working there and really being, you're in the service industry, right? You, your father was a bartender, um, <laughs> but you're in the service industry too, cause you're serving. Yeah. How have you changed and what has this work in general meant for you? And how do you think it has changed you? Yeah. You know, there are times when I do walk to the car and I, I wonder, is it my time? Am, am I am I still bringing fresh eyes to this? Did I make the right decision? Was that in line with our mission? What am I doing? Am I you know, the imposter syndrome? How did I get here? I go through all of those different emotions. But if I look at the landscape of the 20 years, you know, some good has really happened. Even teaching, right? I, I I taught for two years and to hear from students years later and they, they'll send you an email or post a, a message on Facebook. They send you and they tell you made a difference. It's like, oh my gosh. So when you meet a former guest and they, you meet them in the community and they're working and they're, you know, they're at one of the stores you shop at or they're sitting at a restaurant next to you and they thank you and they say, what a difference it made. Like that, as we know, that makes it so worth it. It's just like, wow, we're, we're doing good. We're, we're changing lives. And so how has my life changed? I hope that I'm a more empathetic person. I mean, I need to be easier on my own self, but I, I know I'm easier on other people. I still hold a real high expectation, as we should, but, I, but I, I think I just appreciate and understand what people are going through more in, in just the stories and the experiences And in my own shortcomings, I've tried to be more gentle and give more grace to other people in hopes that they'll give me more grace. And I constantly like parallel, like Kate, where it started, my daughter Isabel was born July 4th. I started at the center just a couple months later. And I said to people like, I had no idea what it was like to have a newborn. And I had no idea what it was like to run the center for the homeless. But I knew that they both needed love. A newborn needs love and the people at the center need love. And I joke now, 20 years later, you know, my daughter's at the edge of 19. She's about to be 20. So she's still a teenager. I still don't know what it's like to parent a 19-year-old. <laughs> and I still wonder if I know what it's like to run the center of a homeless. But I know they still need love. And so I just hope I've poured love into the center. That, that's my hope. So I hope that, you know, in a positive way, it's changed me. 
And um, I've been more more of a loving person. I hope. <laughs> well, you you know you were always an empathetic person. So I think when it when you talk about you know homelessness in a general term, I think we could all be more empathetic to the homeless. I think that probably is one of the the greatest things facing homelessness everywhere is people's reaction to it because it can be very callous. So it takes a very special person to really realize that, you know, by the grace of God, go I, we could all be in that situation. And like, how can we help? You know, you mentioned a little bit earlier that you were going to go into marketing and sales and you would have done great. I mean, you have a wonderful personality, a great smile. You are a very smart guy. So when you think about like sliding doors, that movie where you could have yes, gone into yes. gone, done something else, you, you certainly kind of could have gone to Chicago and made a, yeah. a fortune as a sales, you know, in sales and marketing, but you didn't. But what's funny is I'm sure your job now involves as much sales and marketing as ever, yeah. like to, to raise money, which is part of your job and to get the funding, that's a skill and that's a talent. So I wanna ask you, I actually am kind of breaking off into two questions here. When you look at all that you do at the Center for the Homeless, and there's like, you know, many, many levels, what do you think you really hit out of the park? Like if you said, this is what Steve is good at, what would it be? Oh, you know, I don't like talking about what I'm I, good at. But you know what? <laughs> but you know, Steve, I know you know, oh. if you had to oh. look at, at all the tasks that you that are under your job description and you had to star the one that you are a superstar at, yeah. what, what do you yeah. think it would be? Well, I, I, so I'll start with one of my mentors and dear friend, Mike Katyan, always told me I was good at gathering people. And so, you know, I, I never really saw that as a gift, but one of the things we have to do here at the center is we have to gather people. We have to gather people into our story. We have to bring people into our doors. We have to bring people into our events. And so this idea of gathering people, which I would have never seen as a gift, but I embrace that and I, I take it seriously that I, I gather people. And, and we're gathering people, not for me, but for the Center for the Homeless. So I would say that would be one thing. The second thing people say, and, and you're going to laugh because... I, I love doing this podcast is to MC events. Like we just had our holiday luncheon not too long ago, our lip sync event and our dancing with our stars event. And, and I MC those events and I typically host them with one of the great personalities in our community, whether it's big perm or Mark McGill. And I, I you know, I get nervous because I'm with these people who do it professionally and we have fun together and people say I'm good at it. So I think I, I enjoy that. And again, it's another way for us to tell the story and then I think the third thing I'll say, I, I hope again, is just sort of relationships broadly. We had a little plaque in our house when I was growing up. It said the best way to have a friend is to be a friend. That to me was always about relationships. And that does come from my dad, the bartender. And my mother was a psychiatric attendant at a hospital called South Oaks in Amityville, New York. People wow. have heard of the Amityville Horror. So sure. she worked in Amityville at South Oaks, which is a mental health institute. And she was for 20 years worked a midnight to eight shift and was so and still as 81 year old wonderful with people my dad being a bartender with people so i think being around people and building relationships and being comfortable around hopefully folks from all walks of life with spending time with whether it's a guest at the center or one of our friends volunteers donors so i think that comes comfortably to me, even though at times I'll struggle with some social anxiety. I, I, I do think it's something that I'm good at. 
It's interesting, you know, with your mom's background as a nurse and your dad's background as a bartender, you've kind of taken the qualities of both and you've taken them into the career that you have now. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It does. I mean, it really seems to fit and work and all these things came together and aligned. And, and I think that's why I'm here for 20 years because it just feels right. It feels like it, it just fits. What is the hardest part of what you do and where is the biggest pain point? It's, you know, a lot of people in nonprofits will always say fundraising, but at the end of the day, we can say that, but, and, and my predecessors have, have said it countless times that, you know, it, it's harder to break the cycle for one person than to raise a million dollars, right? Like it's hard to be part of a story that, you know, people have greatness in them and to watch them beat up themselves and to not reach that next level. It, it's hard to witness that you want to be part of the story and the change but you also can't take any credit for it or responsibility. We're just this sort of observer who's, again, that support, but in a coaching way, as they, I they've say, gotta like, do it themselves. we're just trying to coach people along and encourage them. But it's hard, Kate, when they don't. It's like as a parent, right? When we see our children fail, we have to let them fail, but it's so hard to see. And so in a way, I feel like a parent here and it's tough, but, but there's a lot of learning that happens in the failing and the trial and error and going through those experiences. But but it is a pain point and it gets emotional. I mean, we have a lot of fun here too, but there's a lot of emotion wrapped up here. Yeah, I can imagine. What is one thing you have learned in the 20 years in the position you've had that you'd like to sort of impart to the average person about homelessness? Like what does the average person not know about the work you do that would help them understand it better? Yeah, one of the things we tell people too, because you know, folks will drive up and down Michigan Street, and now it's a two-way street. It used to be a one-way street. Oh, okay. And I tell people, you got to come in and see it because people might have notions of what someone experiencing homelessness may be like, and there is no one size fits all, like at all. Mm. I've met some of the smartest people I've ever met here. I've met college-educated, PhD people who have been incredibly successful in whatever field it is they're in. And so there's no way homelessness discriminates. It is absolutely an experience that anybody can have. And so if someone could come in here and take the time to visit with the guests, talk to them, get to learn their story, it is really eye-opening. And of course, just like anywhere else, there's some folks just like everywhere who are, are trying to beat the system. Uh, but by and large, 95% of the folks here are really committed because our program is intense and there's a high expectation and a high bar set. And if people could come in and see that, that there are people who are working really hard to get out of the situation that they're in and they didn't want to be in the situation they were in. They might've been born into it or a circumstance, right? Situational versus generational poverty. So I just would want people to come in and see it. And then I'd also want them to come in and just see how bright it is, that it's a place where we have fun, where we have a lot of laughs, that it's clean, it's fresh. It's In fact, we're in a huge renovation right now. So really come in and see it, the changes that we're making. And uh, I think people will have a heck of a good time if they came and visited. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I never told you this. And, and doing the timeline, you would have been in Louisiana, I believe, as a teacher. Was it Louisiana? Yeah. I was actually a volunteer at the at the Center for the Homeless. I volunteered. I was a volunteer for two years in a row, 1995 and 1996. I was also a pastoral care volunteer at Memorial Hospital in South Bend. Oh. So I, I did a lot of oh. like, I, and of course, then I was a reporter 
at WSBT, yeah. which is the CBS affiliate for two years. So I feel like, you know, that feels like home to me. Like I haven't been back in many years, but I feel like I understand that that community very well. And one of the great strengths is the amount of resources and the care that that community has, which is not the same in other places. It just isn't. And, you know, a lot of credit has to be given to Lou Nanny, who did such amazing work so many years ago. You know, you can't talk about the Center for the Homeless and not mention him. And I just think it's a very, very special place that I asked you, where do you go for inspiration to to bring the excellence of the center up? But I imagine a lot of people come visit you to see how to run a homeless shelter. Is that not true? Yeah, that is true, Kate. And, you know, one of the statements in our mission is to have a model worthy of replication. Mm. And let's go back to Lou and Drew. Yeah. Drew Buscarino followed Lou. And they were just both at our holiday luncheon. So I I, want to mention both of them. And it's great they continue to come to the holiday luncheon to support the center. And, and I really should have said back to that question, where do we go to? You know, when I first started, I went to them so often. Yeah. And even now, you know, Lou and I just talked about getting together for, for a meal and we'll break bread here somewhere in the community. And so I, I continue to lean on them and their experiences and what they learned, because so much of what they learned and went through holds true for me 20 years later. And so it's neat that they're still so connected to our mission. There are still people, like you said, in this community that are so giving. And so when people come to visit us and they kind of ask like, what's the secret sauce? Cause we'll say, Hey, we'll give you all the secret sauce. And we tell them about our own policies and what we do, but the secret sauce is the community. And there are so many great places all over the country. And so you asked earlier, the part of the question I didn't answer your first question. Why did I stay here? I love the people. I just, I love it. Right. Cause essentially I guess I could end it up anywhere. And I've had opportunities over these 20 to 30 years that I've been in the community. And I just keep coming back to, I love the people of the Michiana region where I live in our great neighborhood in South Bend and throughout the community. It's just a really special place. And so there are a lot of special places all over the country and there are a lot of great restaurants all over the country. But for me, this is home. And I'm really proud to call South Bend home. And I'm proud to be at the Center for the Homeless where this community has nonstop giving back to the guests at the center. Well, Steve, every guest on To Dine For has worked hard to bring an idea to life, but the other component is they have done it in service to the world. And one of the things that I've noticed as I've interviewed like some really big time CEO, entrepreneur, Mark Cuban, Sarah Blakely, yeah. you know, Howard yeah. Schultz's of the world, is that like the real fulfillment in life isn't about just building something. It's having the acumen, the money, the resources to give back. And, you know, you kind of cut right to the chase and you started with service. And there's like, it's as cliche as it sounds, but there's nothing that is more satisfying than helping another person, whatever form that takes. And, you know, people sometimes spend their whole lives like looking for quote unquote success and not realizing that in the end, it really is the same for so many others. It's like, that's what really is going to be a difference maker. Yeah. And, and if I can share a story at a restaurant the other day, I won't mention the restaurant because of what I'm about to say, but uh, the waitress, we just had a blast. Uh, the person I was with and the waitress and she was when, you know, she knows about the center of the homeless and asking what she could do this winter. And she said, you know, she struggled with depression herself. And she said, I've 
done medication and therapy. And she goes, but I found the thing that helps me the most is when I help other people. Mm. You hear a lot about that. You hear a lot when you're, when you share your gratitude and when you help other people and doing those two things is really healing and therapeutic. And so, yeah, for me, like being here and, and those days when I have the bad days and, you know, I'll pick up the phone and call my mother and I'm going through this. She goes, go down there and talk to someone who lives at the center. I'm like, that's right. I keep forgetting. I'm here. I have to get out of the office and, and be with the people and learn from the people. And so I'm more blessed, I think, by the people who live here than anything I could do for them. So, yeah, I think there's a, a lot to say about reaching out and helping others. And, and so great that we have the great philanthropists, the people that you mentioned who give so much of their hard-earned investment to invest in the lives of the guests at the center. Yeah, isn't that interesting that sometimes the only thing that could really bring somebody out of the depths of depression is the idea that their actions could help another person? Yeah, no, I mean, and we see it all the time. I mean, I'm this like beneficiary of so much gratitude and like people thank me. I'm like, wait, what? We, we want to thank you. No, thank you so much for all you do. Thank you for letting me come down and volunteer. Thank you for letting us do this, come to your events. It's it's just, it's unbelievable the amount of gratitude that flows through this place. And I'm sure so many, so many places, but it is, it's that sense that people who give back really are given in return. Steve, this has been such a joy. Thank you for spending a little bit of your time and your talent today. I would love to be on Long Island at the sweet shop with you, having an egg cream and whatever. I usually, my diner go-to is usually a grilled cheese with tomato because you can screw that up, but a really good diner grilled cheese, ooh, that is awesome. Yeah, and you gotta get a side of fries with gravy. <laughs> the Long Island is coming out, is coming out. You got it. Steve, thank, thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. This has been such a joy. Hey, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for this time we had together. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at to Dine For with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For, the podcast, American National and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.